When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Africa is a land with endless stories to tell. From epic battles, brilliant rulers, and the dramatic rise and fall of civilizations, join us on the History of Africa podcast to learn the too often unknown stories of the African continent. From the sands of Cairo to the plains of Zimbabwe, and from the mountains of Ethiopia to the forests of the Congo, find the History of Africa podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Gamar Joba, everyone! Before we get into today's show, I want to extend you an invitation to the 4th Annual Intelligent Speech Conference. Intelligent Speech is a 100% online conference that connects independent, educational podcasters like myself with you, the fans, for a one-day event. I'll be speaking about the Georgian influence on the Holy Land. Tickets are on sale now, but if you buy before May 15th, you get 10 bucks off. You can get an additional 10% off if you use the code SAK, S-A-K. That's 18 bucks for a day with your favorite educational podcasters. Go to www.intelligentspeechconference.com to learn more and purchase your tickets. I'll see you on June 25th from 9.45 a.m. to 6.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All the information can be found in the episode transcription. And now, on to the show. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Gamar Joba, and welcome to the History of Sacadvelo, Georgia. I'm your host, Roberto. And this is episode 19, Equal to the Apostles. In today's episode, we'll see how King Mirian and St. Nino converted Kartli, how the Svetiskaveli Cathedral in Metasheta was built, and witness the end of King Mirian III's reign. Before we continue, I have an announcement to make. For their service to the Kingdom of Georgia, we have two patrons to grant lands and titles to. First, going for the full Spaspetto rank is Ben from Battle Royale, French Monarchs, who will now be known as Spaspetto Bagrat of Batumi, Aristavi of the Pranguli. With the Spaspetto rank, Spaspetto Bagrat will have access to bonus episodes, voting power on future episodes, and exclusive access to the history of Sacravello Georgia Discord. We also have an Aristavi with Audrey, who will now be known as Aristavi Audrey of Gonio, Heloinis Grapinia. They'll get access to bonus episodes, and thank you both for your support. In our last episode, we saw how Mirian and Nino met, and the factors that led to the Christianization of the Holstroid dynasty. 
Now, the Holstory dynasty will use their influence and spread it out towards the rest of the kingdom. I'll have to once again make note that we are still following the chronicles for the story of Mirian because it is what contains the most information about him that anyone will know. It contains much legend about the conversion of Cartley, and we should say that it is in fact. We're not out to debunk religious belief, but at the same time, the warning must be told. I'll have an episode dedicated to the more secular theories on conversion and on religion in general in Cartley in a few weeks' time. Mirian stared at the map on the table. It had the layout of the city of Mitisheta, and circled were potential locations for the church he had planned to build, just as he had promised God upon his conversion. He, like all new Christian converts, was quite fervent in his faith. This should be of no surprise to anyone, as he was quite devout in his worship of Armaz and Ahura Mazda. You could say he's the religious equivalent of a serial monogamist. Mirian wanted to showcase the strength of his faith for God to the rest of the kingdom and have a congregation place for the rest of the Christians in Cartley. Unable to decide, Mirian rushed to find Nino. He found her praying at her usual location, at her bush. Mirian asked Nino where to build the new church as he needed his mother's advice to do so. Nino looked up to the king, shrugged her shoulders, and politely said that the choice and location belonged to him, not her. Flabbergasted! Mirian looked around and immediately decided that the location where Nino's bush grew was the holiest place, as that is where his mother resided. He decided that the royal garden was the place to be. He mentioned his decision to Nino and recalled that she had a vision where black birds were washing in water and turning white, and to do so in the garden would be to build a house of God on that exact holy spot she had seen. In a flash, Mirian had brought a team of carpenters to his garden and they cut down all the cedars that surrounded the area, creating seven pillars. Wooden walls were built for his new church, and six out of the seven pillars were erected. The tallest pillar, which would be directly in the center of the church, could not be moved. This tallest pillar was supposedly constructed out of the cedar tree, which contained the burial location of Christ's shroud, which was buried there all the way in Parsman's first reign. This astounded the carpenters and Mirian. They brought in people from all over the realm to assist in lifting the pillar. Despite the amount of manpower available, using all their strength and even being assisted by powerful machines, the pillar would not bunch a millimeter. Mirian and the people of Cartley were disheartened. They had no way of finishing their church without this final pillar. Seeing the struggles of the men, Nino came over to the pillar along with her disciples. She kneeled beside the pillar and prayed for God's assistance in helping create a church for him. As she prayed through the night, she wailed and shed tears upon the immovable pillar. Then, a powerful rumble could be heard far from the construction site. The Kartveli citizens stared at the mountains, Armazi and Zadeni. Their eyes widened in disbelief as they collapsed suddenly and the rubble cascaded down the mountainside to dam the two rivers that dissected the city. Disembodied cries and lamentations resounded throughout the city, striking fear into the citizens' hearts. The barriers that held back the Mitkvadi River burst and proceeded to flood the city while the Aragvi River thunderously burst into the fortress. The city descended into chaos. The Kartveli tried running out of the city to escape the floodwaters, but Nino stood in front of them and spoke calmly, saying, Don't be afraid, my sisters. 
The mountains are staying in their places. The waters flow as they did it in the past. And it just appears to you that the mountains have collapsed. Only the mountains of disbelief have fallen in Cartley. The damned waters are the blood of the infants that were offered to the idols, and the howling voices are from the devil, for they deplore being driven from these places by the will of the Almighty and the cross of Christ. Turn to God and pray. With Nino's words, the panicked citizens grew calm. Lifting her hands to God, Nino prayed for the accomplishment of all the things that Miriam wished for. The following morning, alarm bells rang as the gates of the city were broken down, and a massive horde of Persian soldiers stormed the city. King Mirian himself joined the fight to drive them back, and a massacre began as the Kartveli and Persians fought for every inch of territory in the city. Then, morale dropped as a soldier yelled that Mirian had been captured by the Persians. Another rang out among the troops that this was an enemy deceit and they should continue pushing on. To everyone's surprise, Nino approached the Persian army and stared them down. She mentioned that she had brought the one they had feared and placed her hands in the sign of a cross. A massive scream in unison was heard from the Persian troops, and in a flash, they were all gone. She had dispersed this great visage of an army and began to pray to God. Without another word about the events that had occurred, Nina returned to the immovable pillar. There, she saw a child approach, and he was enveloped in a shroud of fire. He whispered into her ears and said three words. Her eyes widened in astonishment and immediately prostrated herself before this child. The child approached the pillar, touched it, and lifted it easily before carrying it towards the heavens. Mirian awoke the following day after his surprise battle with the Persians and looked over to his construction site. He saw that there was a pillar of light rising to the sky. He rubbed his eyes in disbelief and saw that it was still there. He ran down to his garden and saw that people were already there, rejoicing for the miracle. The pillar levitated in the air and settled into place. This event enraptured Mitasheta with both fear and joy. This was just the first of many miracles associated with the pillar. A man approached the pillar. He had been blind from his birth and he touched the pillar. The clouds that surrounded his eyes disappeared and he could see the world for the first time as it was. A woman approached the pillar with her child. This child, a boy named Amazaspan, had been sick for eight years. He was unable to move at this point, just resting upon his mother. Nino touched the pillar and touched Amazaspan's head. Life flowed into him, and he acted as if he had never been sick a day in his life. Mirian stood stunned at the acts that had just occurred. Sick people from all over Mitasieta and Cartley came to touch the pillar and regain their health. Happy that his citizens were finding a cure for their diseases, Mirian became dismayed when the amount of pilgrims to the pillar caused the progress on his church construction to come to a halt. He ordered his carpenters to erect a wooden shelter around the pillar to stop the people from seeing the pillar. Despite these efforts, pilgrims continued visiting the holy site and touched the shelter itself, which still healed them. Construction slowed down, but the church had finished and was named the Svetitz Haveli Cathedral, or the Cathedral of the Living Pillar. Off in Constantinople, the envoys of King Mirian were given an audience with Emperor Constantine himself, and they prostrated themselves in front of him. They recounted the events that had occurred in Cartley, and how they needed the help of the Romans, 
with providing priests to properly convert and baptize the nation. Constantine and his mother, Helen, were overjoyed at the news of another converted nation, just a few years after Armenia had done so. They agreed that they would assist Cartley with their baptismal efforts. Accompanying Mirian's envoys to Mitisheta was a cleric named Bishop John, along with two priests and three deacons. Constantine personally sent Mirian a message filled with prayers, blessings, and thanks to God, alongside a cross and an icon of Jesus Christ. There were also many lavish gifts that accompanied this. Helen wrote Mirian a letter as well, praising him for his conversion to the true faith and encouraged him to continue down this Christian path. A few weeks after leaving Constantinople, Bishop John arrived in Mitisheta and went straight to work. He was an instant celebrity and was bombarded with requests for baptism. Cartley had been waiting for priests to baptize everyone. With Bishop John and his associates there, Mirian sent for his Aristavi to come immediately to Mitisheta. Nino presided over Mirian's baptism while the priest and deacons baptized Queen Nana and Mirian's son, Rev and Varaz Bakur. Bishop John, on the other hand, was busy baptizing the Aristavi, each one separately. After their baptism of the royals and nobles, Bishop John and his associate turned to the local populace. The people of Cartley had an intense desire to be baptized and went to the river where the churchmen were. They were afraid of not finding the eternal light as Nino had taught them and baptism would help them in reaching heaven. The churchmen worked tirelessly and baptized all who wished to be baptized. However, not everyone wished to be baptized. Those living in the mountains of Cartley steadfastly refused to Christianize, and the Jews of Mitisheta also refused. Only one Jewish family converted, and that was the Barabbas family, whom Miriam granted the town of Sikhedidi. Miriam's son-in-law, Peroz, did not convert as well, as he was a lord over his own lands, despite Miriam having granted them to him. Mirian was content at seeing the vast majority of his nation converted and then sent Bishop John and an Aristavi back to Emperor Constantine. They requested from the great emperor himself a piece of the true cross, a multitude of priests to convert the remaining area of Cartley, as well as builders and masons to erect churches throughout the land. Constantine gladly agreed to this, and even more relics were sent to Cartley such as the board where Jesus' feet were nailed to and nails from his hands. Bishop John sent builders around Cartley to build churches and left relics within the churches in the care of the priests that were sent by Constantine. Seeing how all the holy relics and holy men were spreading around Cartley left Mirian with a bittersweet taste in his mouth. He wanted the churches and, most of all, the relics to remain in Mitisietan near where he could see them. Nino could sense how he was feeling and assured Mirian that within Mitisheta, the most powerful relic remained at Svetitskaveli, Christ's tunic. The years began to pass and Mirian grew older and older. He had been on the throne for decades and decided that he needed a co-ruler to assist in his day-to-day -day duties. He named his son Rev as king. This made him Rev II. After all, Rev was the firstborn and his heir, so he wanted a line of succession that would remain unbroken so that peace would transfer peacefully and ensure the Holstroy dynasty. He co-ruled from Ujarba. 
Rev wanted to help with the conversion of Cartley and spoke with Bishop John. They discussed that there was a tree worshipped by those of the Armazi faith, mainly because it was quite beautiful and smelled sweet. It also had the nice effect of healing any beast that ate its leaves or, or seeds. Of course, since this was idolatrous and meant for Armazi, it had to be cut down. Rev did so and took the timber and branches down to the town center. Then, something miraculous happened. The tree lost none of its color and remained intact for 37 days. Rev and Bishop John decided it had to be turned into a cross. They sent the cross to Mitesieta and it was erected in the city. It's described as being as radiant as a cross of fire from heaven and that it had a crown of stars upon it. Two of these stars departed from the crown and one went east and the other west. Nino, using her wisdom, said that the locations of these stars is where the crosses of Christ should be placed. Nino ordered for the Cartveli to take one cross and erect it on Trotti Mountain and to give the other cross to Queen Salome, Rev's wife, to erect in Ujarma so that the village of Bodhi would not fall to an enemy. The cross erected in the city was then taken to the foot of a mountain and placed at a spring. Nino spent the night praying over the spring and her tears mixed into the waters. This caused many restorative miracles and wonders to occur from the cross and water. During an Easter celebration, King Mirian and Mitesieta sacrificed the Paschal Lamb for the Lord. Rev, however, was quite concerned as his small son became ill and was close to death. Rev took his young son, Saurmag, to the cross located at the spring and promised that in exchange for healing his son, he would build a shelter for the erected cross. Saurmag recovered in a moment, and Rev built a shelter for the cross of Mitesieta, where he would sacrifice the Paschal Lamb every year. At the location of this shelter, many miracles occurred, once again being the restoration of sight, the other the healing of the paralysis and mental health issues of a woman, the last one was a woman who brought her lifeless son to the cross and prayed intensely for seven days over his body. On the seventh day, he was resurrected. People came from all over to heal their troubles upon this cross of Mitesieta and were baptized at this location. Happy news arrived to Mitesieta as they received a surprise visitor from Constantinople. This was Varaz Bakur, who had brought a letter from Constantine and a whole host of presents. Varaz Bakur had returned from Constantinople because Constantine had converted to Christianity on his deathbed and, as a Christian, could not keep a hostage. This brought great joy to Miriam and Nana at having the family reunited. Another visitor arrived at the palace in Mitesieta, this time from Rome. He was amazed that the Cardavelli had been baptized, and he wanted to have his own country, that of Caucasian Albania, baptized. As mentioned earlier, Mirian was quite fervent in his beliefs, and he wanted to help this deacon convert his country of origin. He then sent for Nino and Bishop John, and told them that if they had to convert these pagan holdouts in the mountains, as well as his son-in-law Peroz, either through diplomacy or through force. Nino flared up and responded that God does not allow for forced conversions, so they must peacefully show them the light. Nino and Bishop John departed from the palace and were accompanied by an Aristavi. They arrived at the town of Sobeni and summoned the mountain tribes down to them and preached the words of Christ. The Aristavi brought the brute force and proceeded to destroy their idols, showcasing the power of the Lord. 
they continued through the small mountain villages, preaching to and baptizing everyone that they could. Many mountain tribes still refused to convert. Angry at the refusal, Mirian did the unthinkable to them. He raised their taxes. The mountain tribes fled from where they lived, hiding deeper in the mountains, and refused their conversion. As far as the chronicles show here, they remain unconverted. Nino went to the town of Boldi, where she had previously sent the cross to protect with Queen Salome, and stayed there to rest for a few days. She was getting old at this point, and all her travel had caught up to her. She felt intensely ill. Rev II and Salome informed Mirian, who sent Bishop John from his proselytizing mission to retrieve Nino and bring her to Mitesieta. Nino refused to be moved and said that if they wanted to see her, they must go to her. King Mirian arrived with Queen Nana and the rest of his entourage where they saw Nino. She appeared before them as if she were an angel from heaven. They tore at the hems of her dresses and kissed them. Queen Nana sat near Nino, praying and weeping bitterly at the failing health of her friend and teacher. Nino, now sure that she was on her deathbed, recounted to everyone in the room her whole life. Queen Nana, Queen Salome, and Salome's friend, Pero Javra, wrote down the story which I recounted in our Patreon episode on Nino. Nino's story concluded, she told King Mirian to make Jacob bishop after Bishop John passed. Bishop John gave Nino communion, and she passed on to heaven sometime between 338 to 340 AD. Nino's death shook all of Cartley, as they had just lost their mother. Nino's remains were buried in the village of Baldi, where she had perished. King Mirian and the Aristavi were upset because the town of Baldi had nothing to offer. But it was only fit for the king to bury a modest woman in a modest place. Nino's will to be buried where she died was respected, and Mirian worked continuously at making all of Cartley follow the Christian faith. A few years passed, and grim news arrived from Ujarma. Mirian's eldest son, Rev II, had passed away and was buried in a tomb he had built himself. Mirian became overcome by grief at the death of his firstborn son. Mirian's health took a turn for the worst and started making plans for succession. He brought the men in his family, looking at his remaining son, Varaz Bakur, and at his two grandsons from Rev, Saurmag and Tirdat. He was growing weaker and weaker, and said to them, My son, for me the dark was changed by light and death by life. I am giving my royal crown to you. Let God, the creator of heaven and earth, strengthen you in the true faith. Learn all the commandments of the Son of God, and set your hopes thoroughly on them. Let death in the name of Christ appear to you, through which you will win eternal life. And wherever you find these harmful idols of fire, burn them, and give their ashes to those who trust in them, and tell your descendants about all this. For I know that this belief will disappear among the tribes of the Caucasus. Do this work, apply your heart, and entrust yourself to the Son of God, born in ancient times, who became a man and underwent tortures in order to save us. Guided by the Holy Cross, you will win victories over your enemies, like those who love him in, with their hearts. Respect the life-giving tree erected by God. Set your hopes upon it and proceed to eternal peace with faith in the Holy Trinity. Hearing his father's words, Baraz Bakur must have been smug, having heard that his father had just chosen him to be his successor. His grandsons looked a bit dejected at the thought of their Romanized uncle taking power, but things were not yet over. 
Mirian ordered these men to bring him the cross of Nino and removed his crown. He passed over Varazbakur, blessed Saurmag, and placed a crown onto his head. Mirian smiled upon his grandson, expecting great things, and passed away. He was buried in the Samtavro Monastery, and Saurmag was crowned as king. Mirian was followed by Queen Nana in death two years later, and she was buried beside him at the monastery. However, as the funeral procession and the crowning of Saurmag II took place, Varazbakur left the palace in anger and fled east to Persia. King Mirian and Queen Nana were canonized by the church as saints and dubbed equal to the apostles, while Saint Nino became the enlightener of Georgia and equal to the apostles as well. In light of the intelligence speech conference occurring next month, I will be deep in research for the next topic I have chosen, the Georgian influence on the Holy Land. To make up for not having narrative episodes, I have recorded two interviews, one with an Orthodox priest discussing Orthodoxy and another with Trevor Cully from the History of Persia discussing Zoroastrianism. We'll have a myth in between those interviews and then we'll be returning with an episode on the facts about the conversion of Kartli and discussing the different religions in the region. I would really love to have you all attend Intelligent Speech Conference and hear more about Georgia, so please come and join us and all the podcasters that will be there. To see images and bibliography related to today's episode, please go to our website to check them out under the episodes page at historyofsacadvelo.com. It contains all the links to our social media and email contact information. Sacadvelo is spelled S-A-Q-A-R-T-V-E-L-O. To help this podcast continue, please feel free to donate to the podcast via Coffee or PayPal. The link is in the podcast transcription and on our website. Our Amazon wish list is also available if you'd like to purchase a book for us. And we also started a Patreon, so subscribe on that too. The best way to help us for free is via review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast host, as it goes a long way with getting the word out about the show and helping us reach new people to learn about Georgia. Madloba Danachfamdis, and thank you for listening to the history of Sacramento, Georgia. See you next time.